The Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market clamor to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing truism attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short run and a weighing machine over the long term. In other words, emotion drives short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations drive returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, the market recovery continues, but it is fragile. Plus, companies begin reporting earnings. How bad will the numbers stack up? We will also discuss the bizarre events in the oil market and five key takeaways of the COVID crash. That's with our guest, Senior Client Portfolio Manager at CLS Investments, Case Eichenberger. Plus, my interview is with Michael Roney, Chief Investment Strategist at State Street Global Advisors, the Spider Funds. Welcome to the weighing machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. The recovery continues, but it appears very fragile and volatility is just dramatic. What's our latest assessment of the markets? Well, Robin, I like a couple of those words because they hit it right on the head, dramatic and volatile. But this month so far, the volatility has been to the upside. I know we talked about weeks ago, kind of the seasonal pattern that we've seen in recent decades where April is easily the best month of the year. So if you look at all the calendar months, which month has the highest chance of a positive return, which month has the highest average return, that's April. And this April is going to be no exception unless we have some extraordinary sell-off in the last two days. Every segment of the U.S. stock market has double-digit returns. The last couple of days have been really phenomenal to watch as we've kind of seen the baton pass from growth-oriented companies towards value companies. We've seen uh, leadership go from large companies to small caps. Small caps have been on fire the last couple of days. One beaten down sector, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more, is energy. And energy prices as a sector are up over 25%. The other thing that's really amazing is obviously we just had one of the fastest 10%, 20%, 30%, almost 40% loss in the stock market. The average stock did lose 39% from high to low. And we have the index has bounced. Looking at the S&P 500, the, the market has bounced almost 35% as of this recording. So we're less than 15% off the all-time highs. So when you ask about April, it has been a phenomenal month. All right. Well, we will talk more about the oil market, which has recovered somewhat from an unprecedented decline. Um, that'll be later on the podcast. But first, companies are beginning to report earnings for the first quarter. Uh, what have we seen so far and what's expected? Well, when it comes to earnings season, I always like to point out there's so much data generated from earnings season. I think that's great, obviously, for all the market commentators and it's just a lot of data. And I think this this quarter's data, which, again, is the first quarter data, it has something for everybody. So if you want to be negative, uh, it's easy to be negative because the year-over-year growth is double-digit negatives. Uh, at this point, with one-third of the companies reporting, the average company is down in terms of the earnings growth, 16% year-over-year. Uh, on the positive side, however, is that the expectations for those companies were for losses of 15 to 30%. So about two-thirds of the company have, have beat estimates. I'm already giving you a lot of data here, but basically, first quarter wasn't good. The important thing is the second quarter numbers are going to be worse. How should investors treat that, particularly long-term investors? Well, given the fact the economy typically bottoms three or four months before, actually, did I say that right? The stock market typically bottoms three or four months before the economy. 
I almost think a lot of this earnings data is just not as important to watch as it typically is. Hmm. Well, some of those companies that are reporting earnings now are going to be returning funds that they borrowed from the government using the small business loan program that was not intended for publicly traded companies. So what's the potential impact on companies that benefited from the program and are now receiving blowback? Well, you know, obviously it's not cool. And I think there will be blowback. Um, Without a doubt, it will be a political issue. That all said, I just think that some of the, the stimulus, as we've talked about in the past, is so unprecedented in terms of monetary policy from the Federal Reserve, whether it's just all the liquidity they put into the market or how low interest rates are or how they basically backstop some segments of the market, including some areas which, quite frankly, should get more blowback, too. Uh, for instance, they're basically buying high-yield bonds. These are companies highly levered and and have a strong chance of defaulting anyway. Um, that is such an incredible backstop, and there's just so much liquidity in the system, not only in terms of the magnitude, but how fast it all came online. And then, of course, is the fiscal stimulus, and you kind of touched upon that, too. And the fiscal uh, stimulus packages have been also very massive. Um, in fact, about the only time uh, government spending has been this large in like the last 100 plus years was during World War II. I mean, it's exceeded all other times, and it's just blown away the response from the government in 2008. What does that all mean for investors? It's just incredible stimulus. One of the most powerful things you do as an investor is don't fight the Fed. And right now that Fed is, is supplying so much ammunition, it just wants the markets to go up. All right, so let's bring in our guest, Senior Client Portfolio Manager at CLS Investments, Case Eichenberger. Hey Case, welcome to the weighing machine. Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Okay. Um, so in your weekly three that came out this week, Grant Engelbart, who's director of research over at CLS, wrote about the oil market, which we've talked about here on the show. Um, it experienced a historic crash recently. Prices turned negative, which is a very bizarre turn of events. How did that happen? And what does it mean for commodity investors? All right. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Last week, uh, this this happened for, for commodity investors, the oil market basically we're looking at a very specific part of the market here, which is West Texas Intermediate. And we're looking at the May contracts, but that's is what um, caused all the market headlines last week. Basically fell at negative $37 a barrel, which almost meant that investors could be paid to buy oil at that point. So that is very odd. It's never happened before. What did happen and, and how you would you can look to explain this is Commodities futures, I'm uh, sorry, commodities trades on futures contracts. You can't really buy just spot contract. Um, you need to buy the May contract now or the June or the July. Um, and on Monday is the, the May contract. What we're looking at futures went, uh, were ready to expire and then they went negative. Um, we noticed this really caused a lot of volatility, not only in energy prices and oil prices, but just all commodity prices. So we were reminded that obviously commodities are volatile investments. They do have diversification benefits, but um, they do also have a lot of volatility. Um, really, there's a couple of ways you can also maybe look to enhance your holdings and commodities. Um, we do think they're good investments, uh, potentially as inflation does surprise in the future, they are gonna be a good hedge for that. And they're also just at very cheap prices. You can also buy commodities and specifically oil um, contracts through an ETF. And also these ETFs 
you don't have to always buy just the May contract or the front month contract, which is really where all the volatility was right now. You can look out to 2021 and later this year, and you wouldn't have as much volatility as, as, as you saw. So really, commodities are very interesting. You have to really do your homework when investing in them. Right. Well, you also had a section in the weekly three in which you wrote about five lessons learned from the COVID crash. It's certainly a time that's challenging our views of the market and even societies at large. So what were your takeaways? Yeah, I, I think this is something that I, I, I learned, I was reminded of, a lot of investors were, um, some things that maybe surprised us, but really just, you know, first and foremost, undeniably, the market is forward looking. Um, we are reminded of this of every day, and I think we all knew this, but with everything happening so fast right now and with magnitude, you really start to take notice as we're all basically, uh, you know, glued to our screens watching this. And that's, we, we cite some research from ClearBridge, which shows on average, there's about a three month separation between um, when stocks bottom and when a recession may end. So stocks bottom typically always before the recession ends. And uh, that is something that stock markets are always forward looking. And now that the data is coming in very bad, you know, it, it's already basically been priced into markets and um, we're looking for basically what's going to happen here in the future. So that's number one. Um, second is market timing is impossible almost. Uh, there are maybe a few handfuls of clients out of 10,000 or so that get it right. Uh, that is just pure luck. We don't really ever subscribe to market timing and we think it should be avoided. Um, and there also are a lot of unfortunate clients that, that may get it wrong and just never get back into the market. Um, we see those um, across our desk also. Third, in a, you know, in a black swan event, like I think we, you know, we could say it's safe we had, correlations among asset classes, really risk asset classes, anything other than treasuries go to, um, you know, they rise, they get very correlated together. This happened with just the most safe investment grade corporate bonds. You know, they were really selling um, negatively as people were demanding treasuries and liquidity. And also it happened with commodities, um, certain sectors that are typically low volatility like utilities, they just became very correlated. So that was interesting to watch. And then the last two, you know, there are opportunities that present themselves. Uh, we look at, you know, and I point out in the commentary, like high yield bonds or investment grade bonds, as those become correlated and they basically expand in their spreads over, you can get with treasuries, I'm talking about high yield bonds here, they make it really attractive to, to go in and buy right now, which can present a lot of good long-term opportunities for active managers out there. And then fifth and finally, um, our philosophies and our beliefs are tested. You know, whether it's growth investing, value investing, um, you're, you're gonna have times where that really gets tested if, if that's your discipline in the market. And I cite in here just simple stock investing. You know, if you look at the last 20 years ending March 31st data, the aggregate bond market has actually beat the S&P 500, which is one of the best performing stock markets around the world in this time. And bond markets beat it in the last 20 years. Now, I don't think anybody um, listening would say, I only want to be in bonds. I don't want any stocks ever. Bonds beat stocks. That's not the case. But nonetheless, that's what's happened in the last 20 years. So we still have to just remember our disciplines and our philosophies. Um, you know, there's going to be a good time to own stocks and there's going to be a good time to own value stocks specifically. Right. I'll have to think about, well, that's going to do it for this portion of the podcast. Hey, Case, thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely. Good to be here. Next up is Rusty's Q&A, and today he talks to Mike Aroni, who is Chief Investment Strategist at State Street Global Advisors with Spider Funds. What you guys talk about? 
Well, Mike is one of the first repeat guests, and Mike is an unconventional thinker, and it's just always fun to interview him. All right, let's take a listen. Well, today's guest on The Weighing Machine is Mike Aroni, Chief Investment Strategist and Managing Director at State Street Global Advisors, and a repeat guest on The Weighing Machine. Welcome back, Mike. Thanks, Rusty. It's good to be here. Uh, I can't believe I made it back. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's so much going on in the world, and I have approximately 10 questions for you. And of course, the most important one is the one I love to ask guests, and that is, if you had a walk-up song, you know, walk-up songs, let's say you're a baseball player and you're coming up to bat, and you got that, that, that music in the background that pumps you up right before you hit that home run, what is your song, your walk-up song? I'll give you a little bit of time, I'll give you mine. And uh, my personal favorite is uh, Radiohead. I might be wrong. It's kind of got this cool beginning. I think it's appropriate. So Radiohead, I might be wrong. My is my walk-up song. What is yours? Right. Rusty, it's funny. I don't know if I'm going to reveal a little bit kind of like, like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain here, but you certainly let me know uh, that this could be a question coming. And I was tossing and turning last night going through you know all kinds of songs on my Spotify list, you know, Boston-themed, market-themed, all kinds of things. All my favorite bands, Springsteen, Journey, Guns N' Roses, etc. So I think given the time, um, I think Guns N' Roses' Welcome to the Jungle would be my, my walk-up song right now. I think that hits it on the head. That's perfect. Well, awesome. So, all right, well, we have you on for a bunch of different reasons. But first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and, of course, about State Street Global. Sure. Um, I'm the chief investment strategist for State Street Global Advisors, Spider Exchange Traded Fund business in the U.S. I've actually been with uh, State Street Global Advisors for more than uh, 23 years. So uh, I started when I was just five years old. Done a number of things. I've worked with our institutional clients, our financial advisor and wealth management clients, um, not only in the U.S., but globally. I lived in London for a time, the opportunity to manage money. But in my current capacity, I, um, I work with financial advisors, wealth management teams, and helping them think through investment issues, portfolio construction issues as they build portfolios of investments for their clients. So that's primarily how I spend my time. In terms of the firm, as you know, State Street Global Advisors, one of the largest asset managers in the world, about $2.7 trillion in assets under management. And we were, in fact, the creator of the world's first ETFs, and that business now for us is uh, one of the one of the larger components at about six hundred and fifty billion in spider exchange traded funds. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, one of the things I wanted to get your take on is the current environment, and I've seen you speak multiple times. I read your stuff, and what I really appreciate is you have a different take on stuff, and it's in a user-friendly format where you can understand what you're talking about, and I know you've been doing a lot of speaking these days. So what is your current assessment of the market environment? Well, it's interesting. I think at the end of the day, the coronavirus pandemic is a health problem, and it requires a health solution. So for those that are looking for some element of clarity in terms of an economic recovery, when corporate profits will rebound, um, when the labor economy will rebound, I really do think that the primary catalyst for that will be a health solution to the pandemic. Now, I am optimistic in that you have a tremendous amount of both public and private investment focused on finding a solution whether it be a therapeutic, eventually a vaccination, 
or some other type of solution. I also do think that as spring turns to summer in the Northern Hemisphere, and the fact that so many of us are practicing uh, social distancing, and we're starting to see those infection and hospitalization rates and fatality curves bend, I am optimistic that by the end of the third quarter into early fourth quarter, we'll begin to see the uh, elements of recovery. So in the meantime, I think things are going to be challenging. Uh, They're going to be volatile. But I do think that if we can get past the pandemic, I do think that both the fiscal policy and monetary policy have helped protect the economy to some degree from some of the more severe consequences of this health problem. Yeah. Well, given the current market environment, the are there certain opportunities that you're seeing? I mean, is there certain things are that give you are, that you're excited about? And I guess on the other side of that coin is, what are the things that are giving you the most concern, or what areas are you avoiding right now? For me, I think the fascinating things about markets is this whole behavioral dynamic, and I know it may seem odd, but in these long this long bull market that we've been in with very low levels of financial market volatility, you know, prior to the pandemic, prior to the most recent kind of event, not that things were boring, Rusty, but, you know, kind of the, the tide lifted all boats. I think for me as an investor, what I'm excited about is this volatility has um, resulted in some really interesting opportunities. So things are on sale. You know, Buffett always used to do the whole thing that we love hamburger. And when hamburgers prices go lower, we're happy in our household. Well, what's uh, what's happened here is that hamburger prices certainly are much lower than they were to start the year. And I do think that for investors with courage, conviction and capital, that uh, there are some opportunities out there. For me, I like areas of the market that can grow organically. Uh, with high profit margins. So that leads me to technology, communication services sector. And I like to combine that with parts of the market that are less cyclical in nature, where their products or services are in high demand, like healthcare and consumer staples. So to me, I think those are where the opportunities are. In terms of the risks, I am thinking that one of the risks to my outlook is if we do see a rebound in infection rates later this fall or winter. I do think that'll spook market sentiment and certainly require us to continue on the social distancing front. And that does, you know, give me concern uh, going kind of going into later this year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that too. I mean, particularly on the on the concerns, I mean, we're going to get a lot of data in the upcoming weeks as the economy starts to reopen in some areas. So without a doubt. All right. So what should investors and advisors be doing right now in this environment? Is there, are there actions they should be taking, in your opinion? So we recommend not doing anything too rash. Um, so oftentimes, again, when we talk about behavioral biases, and I love this whole idea of the weighing machine, right? In that w- oftentimes when investors feel compelled to do something, to act, it's often best to take a de- step back, a deep breath, And understand that for most folks, not for everyone, you have a long-term investment horizon. You have a disciplined investment approach. And that's where firms like yours are great in terms of helping uh, guide folks, that you have a disciplined process 
and a disciplined investment approach that served you well not to abandon that and that you benefit from the diversification of investment portfolios. So owning things uh, like long dated treasuries or gold, for example, are helpful. So keeping that as a framework in mind, we encourage folks not to do anything too rash. That said, we do suggest that folks take this opportunity for, from, a, from the volatility perspective to consider rebalancing portfolios back to strategic weights or long-term weights. It's important to do that thoughtfully. For those that uh, are in a taxable situation to think about tax loss harvesting, which is important, which can help obviously lower your tax bill and provide opportunities from an investment standpoint. And, um, and then think about moving up in quality, whether it's in your equity portfolio or your fixed income portfolio. We think in a slower growth, more volatile environment, high quality investments are likely to outperform going forward. Yeah, <clears throat> that's great. Well, let's talk about strategies a little bit because State Street is introducing some new investment strategies on the Orion Portfolio Solutions platform. Could you tell us a little bit about those in bullet point form? Sure. So we're really excited. We're going to be launching uh, with Orion or, you know, on the platform, we'll have State Street Global Advisors. We're going to have six strategic model portfolios available for folks. Those six will range across, you know, conservative all the way out to aggressive. We'll also have six tax sensitive strategic models out there. The only difference there is within the fixed income portfolio, swapping out the aggregate index, the broad definition of fixed income for more munis for those that have a a tax consequence. So those 12 will be uh, available on the Orion platform. We're really excited about that. These are managed by a a team of 50 investment professionals located in eight investment centers around the globe. On average, each one of these people has about 15 years of experience managing portfolios or being involved in strategic asset allocation. We have close to 300 billion that this team manages on behalf of clients, and we've been doing it for about four decades. So we're really excited about this opportunity. I know, Rusty, we're also working with you on on things in terms of maybe introducing some of our tactical portfolios and an income-oriented portfolio. Those are not available yet, uh, but hey, we're working with you to make sure that we're bringing uh, the best of what we have to offer and help put it on that platform. Yeah. Well, given State Street's uh, track record in terms of asset allocation work, it just makes a lot of sense. One thing you didn't mention, of course, is these strategies are like super cheap relative to a lot of other strategies. And uh, and also, of course, the tax efficient is really compelling in this time frame because, you know, so many investors and advisors you mentioned are taking advantage of the volatility to do tax swaps. So um, all good. All right. I've got a question for you because I know this is a problem I have without a doubt. I had this problem before the current environment. It's only gotten worse. And I'm sure you have the same thing. How are you dealing with so much information that is just bombing us each and every day? I mean, I seriously, I can, I, I probably haven't looked at my inbox here, but I bet I've got like 50 emails during this podcast interview so far. How are you managing all this information right now? It is amazing. It's, uh, you know, I think it was um, a manual who once said, uh, you never let a good crisis go to waste. And it seems like uh, purveyors of research and um, third-party research, sell-side firms, et cetera, 
uh, certainly are living by that motto. I think from my perspective, uh, what I tend to look for is not folks that I agree with or research that's kind of in line with what um, my own thinking is. But what I really try to push myself to consider is things that have a different point of view or maybe even the opposite point of view, because I think that provides valuable information. Um, And so I try to filter through my email or the research or the things that I look for, for uh, very different perspectives, uh, because certainly I've already formed some of my own and I want to push my thinking. So that's one way to think about it. The other is that behavioral kind of component and the willingness to just simply delete things that are probably not additive. And that's really hard because there's always the FOMO, the fear of missing out, the fear of missing out on something good. Um, but it's interesting. I, I, I just did this. I happened to uh, spend some time, a couple hours going through about 700 emails. And at the end, I was down to about 50 in my inbox. And boy, did it feel good. And a lot of it just simply was, you know, getting rid of stuff that wasn't additive and uh, just helped affirm my own thinking. And uh, to me, that wasn't as valuable as some of the other pieces. Wow. 50 items in your inbox. I can't even imagine. I think I had 50 in my inbox, you know, when I first got Outlook. But uh, wow, it's amazing. The um, yeah, the information is just it's just it's just amazing right now in terms of just how much there is out there. All right, here's another question. You talked about how volatility is created as all this opportunity. So this seems like this is finally the perfect environment for active managers to add value above and beyond benchmarks. When do you think active is going to work again? Is this that environment? And if so. What should investors look for in a good active manager? So I think it's interesting. I think for throughout a lot of the bull market, we heard that uh, active managers say that, well, of course, indexing does well when the markets are rising and volatility is low. But just you wait. When volatility rises and there's market trouble, that's when we'll add our value. Now, I don't think necessarily that active will work by default in that type of environment. In fact, if you go back to the TMT bubble bursting at the turn of the century or the global financial crisis, uh, broadly speaking, active you know, didn't do uh, much better in those periods. And early indications here are that active, um, broadly speaking, hasn't necessarily provided that um, kind of extra uh, excess return that you might think. So to me, Rusty, it's more, it's not that the market's down or volatility's up that would lead me to think that active will work. What I would look for is, is the dispersion of returns amongst stocks or sectors or industries, is it, is it widening? Is it getting bit bigger? So is the best energy stock have a much different return pattern than the worst energy stock based on some fundamental metric? And not, not so the dispersion of returns and then the correlation of those stocks within those groupings, if they're lower, I think the opportunity to add value through active uh, comes through. And so I would be looking for is the dispersion of returns, the difference between the best and the worst getting wider? And is the correlation among stocks or bonds or whatever security I'm trying to add value with, is it declining? And typically when volatility rises, those correlations and dispersions, you know, tend to go up. 
not down. So in the aftermath, I think it'll be interesting. Now, with that said, one of the things that's been curious is that in the junk bond market, high yield bond market, spreads widened as markets fell. They got to about a thousand basis points. And typically about that time, 12 month forward returns on average do pretty well after spreads have widened. But yet for me personally, I don't think blanketly buying a diversified portfolio or an index of junk bonds is the way to go. I would be much more selective in the junk bond arena or the high yield market in credit at this point. I think there differentiating between winners and losers could potentially add some value. The indexes themselves tend to have some of the folks that are the most risky or speculative are the bigger weights. And you get things like retail and energy. And I'd want to be a bit more selective there. So it's kind of a side effect on the fixed income area in credit markets in particular, where I think active might be able to add some value. Yeah, right on. I think you hit on the head. I mean, I think when I get that question myself, it's like, what are you really asking? I mean, in a strict sense, you know, within a certain market exposure, you know, active still has the same issue it does in any environment. It's just a math problem. Relative performance is zero sum and you've got expenses. It just basically means if you get more dispersion, like you've mentioned, it just means the good active managers are going to look that much better and the bad active managers are going to look that much worse. But is the question really about diversification, you know, and Will international be domestic again? And will, you know, will other things start to outperform? And I guess that's kind of what the question is sometimes. But I totally agree with what you're saying, particularly in the fixed income markets. All right. So I have, here's a question I have is, you know, I was talking about information and how we're trying to control it and manage it. And um, but I have a question. What are you reading these days? I mean, you always seem to have so many different uh, things you're, you're writing about and talking about. What books are you reading right now? Do you have any recommendations, particularly for advisors and investors? So I just uh, finished the Jim Simons book on Renaissance Technologies, the long-term hedge fund uh, with the success there. Uh, the author's last name, I think it was Patterson, is a Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, our, he's a journalist from the Wall Street Journal. So he writes in that kind of framework, which is pretty uh pretty quick with some good rhythm and things. And what really struck me about that book that I found interesting was just how many times early on those guys failed. Like they failed to find that secret sauce, that secret formula. It wasn't until much later in life, after many different challenges, that they kind of found the secret sauce, that information advantage that tended to serve them well. And they protected that information advantage at all costs. I thought that was um, fascinating. I also thought it was interesting in that book around um, this idea that um, around the behavioral, that ultimately in the end, someone like Jim Simon knew, he spent his whole life developing quantitative models to, to avoid those behavioral biases. And then during periods like this, he finds himself incredibly challenged to not overcome them. Uh, you know, in terms of kind of succumbing to those same things that we all feel every day. So I thought that those things were kind of interesting uh, from that standpoint. Well, that's obviously a good recommendation. I mean, I've read where he's just crushing it this year. And at the same time, a lot of quantitative managers are getting crushed. So obviously, he's got the secret sauce. Okay, here's another related question, because I get this question all the time. In fact, I just got it days ago, again, and that is somebody who wants to learn more about investing, you know, it could be a college kid, could be a high school kid, could just be anybody. It's like if they want 
a book to learn more about investing? You must have received that question dozens, if not hundreds of times yourself. What are your recommendations? One of my favorite books is uh, More Than You Know, Finding Financial Wisdom in Unconventional Places by Michael Mobison. Um, And what I love about this book is it blends not only the fundamental principles that you need to understand and learn about uh, evaluating different markets and securities, but it blends kind of this idea of psychology and an interdisciplinary framework around solving problems. And to me, that was just a a phenomenal kind of um, part of the book. And and so for me, I do think that 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 one stood out for me, uh, for folks, especially given the evolution in the environment that we've seen. And I've been spending some time on this, Rusty, with folks in that um, it's interesting. Capitalism has evolved in such an a fascinating way, some, you know, some good, some bad, but it's interesting in that this isn't our grandfather's capitalism in that each time a crisis has occurred, um, central banks and the government are quicker and they provide much greater depth of resources and support than ever before. And so it's just fascinating in terms of how quickly they respond and how much they respond to protect the economy and corporate profits and folks from job losses. They don't always get it right. Um, but these, you know, these same safety nets, if you will, and support mechanisms, they weren't around. In fact, most of the policies during the Great Depression made things worse. And these folks are just doing anything to kind of stabilize markets and protect the economy and jobs. And it's just, uh, I guess, I know it's a little crazy that, uh, not crazy what I'm talking about, but it's a little bit kind of um, pie in the sky, but the central bank is buying junk bonds, junk bond ETFs. It just goes to show you the depths and lengths that they'll go in order to protect some of those, you know, some businesses and things. And uh, this book, I think, helps address not only the fundamentals that you need, but some of the multidisciplinary framework to decision-making and some of the psychology. And to me, that's why I think it's more relevant than ever. Now, that is a great tip. I have not read that book. I read so many articles by him, but I have not read that book. So, gosh dang it, another one from my list. That's awesome. Well, Mike, I think I probably really could talk to you for an hour because I have a bunch of other questions I could take it and um, get a lot more granular on some of your stuff. But um, I do appreciate your time today. How can listeners learn more about your outlook in your firm? Sure. So, uh, Rusty, great conversation as always. Thank you for having me back. For folks that are interested in learning more about spider exchange traded funds or even reading our work, um, spiders.com, S-P-D-R-S.com is a way to go. Under the Insights tab, you'll find my work. You'll find Matt Bartolini's work, our blog. We've just done some great stuff on the value of rebalancing in this volatile time, even by our group CIO for the Investment Solutions Group, the guy who heads up um, those models that we've been chatting about earlier that are going to be available um, to uh, on the Orion platform. Uh, you'll find things on tax loss harvesting there. And then I write uh, an article each month called Uncommon Sense. And uh, you'll find that uh, monthly publication there as well for kind of what I like to think of as different insights on markets and and things that are topical. So that's where you can find a lot of information. 
Cool. Well, Mike, any closing words? No, I just uh, I hope that folks uh, remain healthy and safe in this in in this environment. Uh, certainly follow your kind of local guidelines, that type of thing. Wash those hands. Um, I do think that um, we will get through this pandemic. Um, the human spirit is just incredible in terms of when they're focused on solving a problem. Uh, it might take us a while. We might hit a few bumps along the road. We might not agree with everything that's happened uh, or how we've responded to it. But I can guarantee you that there'll be a solution to this problem. And uh, on the other side of it, I think uh, we'll be better for it. And uh, it'll help lay the framework for a much stronger economy and perhaps a much uh, stronger market, even though it's been um, a challenge to go through it currently. Right. Well, well said. Well, thanks again, Mike. And um, thanks for being a repeat guest. And we'll have you on again. All right. Thanks, Rusty. Talk soon. Good stuff. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final thoughts. Stay balanced and stay the course. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Officer at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com.